what we've just heard and what we'll hear throughout the service is that it's important for us to recalibrate continually the measure of success. And most people, when they go out of the country, they go on a mission trip, they are in a, a culture that is so much more difficult than ours from a physical economic point of view, they come back and they say, I'm, my life has changed. What I think is what they're really saying is that my worldview has changed. Perhaps what's important, what I've prioritized, all of those things, I, uh, they, they, they become different now in what's important. For us living in this country, and, and, and a wonderful, uh, tremendous country as it is, there is a, a sense of the need to recalibrate what's important because Hollywood has probably come out with a, a countless number of uh, events where people get trophies. And we say, well, that's greatness right there. Boy, if we could just get a, you know, an Emmy Award or a, a, you know, a Grammy Award or uh, an Oscar Award, and we've measured that as a culture as greatness. We measure greatness by the things that we know, the things that the degrees behind our names. I have two teenagers. They measure greatness by the tennis shoes and the, and the iPods and the different versions of such. And so we're surrounded and saturated really by this beckoning to measure success in ways that are different than the way God measures success. And so even if we don't step our foot outside the country, we should allow the Word of God to recalibrate that, our hearts. It's helpful to be in different surroundings and see this. Because when you're around those that have given themselves fully to Christ, all of a sudden you see different marks of what is, defines greatness. But that in and of itself is not the thing that's going to penetrate our soul, it's the Word of God. It's always truth that penetrates our soul. So Jesus had this conversation about the measurable of greatness. And so uh, if you look at the 12 disciples, we know that there were some that were closer to Jesus than others. And so uh, one of the moms, the greatest fans, our moms are our greatest fans, the, moms of, uh, the mom of James and John went to Jesus, and the conversation must have gone something like this. Hey, um, I noticed that my boys have a higher-valued seat in the circle than the other guys. So since that's true, and I noticed that when you call people out and call, you know, a smaller group out, they happen to be in that group. So just was thinking, um, just came to my mind that when we're in eternity, I wonder if my boys, one could sit on your right side and one can sit on the left. In other words, is there any way we can get some VIP tickets for my, uh, for my two boys in heaven? Now, my mom's here today, and uh, I would say that she is my greatest fan, and she would have no shame in asking Jesus for the very same thing. <laughs> right? She says she already has. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> I'm 
Just don't ask him if I can sit in his seat. That's, uh, that's way over the top. Can, can my son sit in yours? Jesus, I'm sure, said, look, I, I understand where you're coming from. You're thinking in a human term. But kingdom thinking is always upside down. Always upside down. And this is the thing that challenges us as human beings. So I love these moments where Jesus is going to use it as a teaching moment. He could have said, what are you thinking about? But he doesn't. And, and we're going to see that in these moments, Jesus says, hey, guys, huddle up. These huddle up moments were just moments of great teaching. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25, we see this is on the hills of of uh, mom just asking for her two boys, all right? Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus said, huddle up. He called them together as a result of this conversation. And remind yourself that they are now operating in the culture of the Roman Empire, okay? Jesus said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, they lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, Jesus delivers four words that should penetrate the heart of every Christ follower in many different areas of life. The four words that Jesus delivers are, not so with you. I know the world is measuring greatness by this, not so with you. I know the world holds, holds on to everything. Not so with you. I know the world holds grudges. Not so with you. I know the world only forgives if the terms are right. Not so with you. Jesus could have said it in a many different angles, but the, the message from Christ to his fully devoted followers is not so with you. You have to think differently. And so he begins to use a, a word that's culturally sensitive, not only in his culture, but even in ours. It is a word that is avoided by many versions of the Bible. I use a particular version of the Bible most of the time. It's a great study Bible. In this passage, there's a little footnote. It said, see preface. I'm like, okay, you got my attention. I read the preface. Because of the cultural sensitivity of this word, we've avoided it. But see, Jesus didn't avoid it in a culture where it was sensitive. And it's appropriately sensitive, too, by the way. And because of its sensitivity, but because of what it meant and the deep pain in which it draws from people, Jesus said, I've got to use this word. I've got to use the word. In fact, Paul uses the same word. Do I have your attention? Jesus said, not so with you. Let me give you a measure of greatness. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. In the Greek, it's diakonos. But then he goes a step further. Because we're comfortable with servers. You go to a restaurant this, this, this afternoon, you're going to have a server. Serving feels warm. Serving feels like, hey, what, can I help you, right? But Jesus said, I'm not sure you're going to get the full picture if I just use that word. So let me use a different word other than diakonos, servant. He said, and whoever wants to be first, 
must be your slave. Doulos. Different word. He just wasn't repeating himself because there was a distinction between those two words. And he said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and we'll come back to that later, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when we look at these two words, we break them down. Diakonos means servant, one who executes the commands of another. May I please have another glass of iced tea? Sure. I'll go and get that for you. I will serve you. Would you please empty the trash? Yes, I will serve you. But that does not have the depth or the pain of the word slave. This is an important conversation that many would like to avoid. But even in our own country with the appropriate pain in our history of what that word means and the relationships that are still in pain over them and the effort that are, we're trying to make, some people are trying to make to heal with the, 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 the difficulty and the challenges of it. Jesus said, as human beings in many cultures around the world, around the world we don't want to avoid the meaning of what that meant. And so Jesus says, look, here's the difference. See, servant is one who executes the commands of another. A slave is one who gives themselves entirely, wholly, completely to another's will. So you look at the history of the Hebrews. And you must, have, you must understand that when Jesus uses that word, that these Jewish boys sitting in the circle understood that in their own history there was a painful chapter, a long chapter of hundreds of years of slavery in the nation of Egypt. Their fathers told them about it. Their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, this was passed down. It is part of the central DNA of the Old Testament that, that God continually says, I am the one who freed you from the enslavement that, was in, that you experienced in Egypt. This was a sensitive topic to them. Even in the Roman culture, which was not their culture, but even in the Roman culture, a slave was the lowest of all of the food chain, so to speak, of culture. So Jesus fully understood what he was saying. He was trying to, to sting with some pain. It's funny when you look at the history of the Jewish people and they spent so long in slavery that you would think that when they came out of slavery that they would be deeply averse to slavery. But if you know the, the, the book of Exodus, if you have any familiarity with it at all, we understand that they exited around uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12, 13, 14. And then in chapter 15, there is a celebration, a psalm, basically a song of worship in Exodus 15, just five short chapters later. Exodus 20 is a monumental chapter. It's where the, the, the Ten Commandments are delivered. So it's very odd that coming right out of the hills in the wake of slavery, that chapter 21 of Exodus begins by saying, if you have slaves, you would think that that would not even be part of the conversation, but it was the first conversation because they understood where they had been. 
But slavery for the Hebrews was different than what we think. It was not the atrocious activity that we've seen in history of people being ripped from their native countries, from their families, from their economic statuses, from their social statuses. There was no brutality involved in the Hebrew slavery. This was not what the means was. It was a means. You remember they were a very migrant culture moving through the wilderness for four decades and when a person became, came on hard times of uh, uh, economic hard times, and we would say maybe they were facing bankruptcy, they would say, I'm now going to sell myself to a family in order to, to be able to make it. And so it was, much of it was, uh, if not all of it, was voluntary So it, because they didn't, as they traveled around, they couldn't go down to uh, you know, the first bank of the wilderness and take out a loan. They couldn't get a credit card, Capital One credit card out in the wilderness. So they said, this is, this is the choice that I, I have to make. And so when we read it, a commentary in Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, it is a backward look at what happened in Exodus chapter 21. And the word from God says, if your fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, is sold to you, and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. It was temporary. This was a means for them to gain some economic footing. Because when they left, what happens in verse 13, when you set him free or her free, do not send him away empty-handed. There was a compassion built in to the system. Watch, not just give, but give generously. So at the beginning of that seventh year, you're releasing this person to freedom. And give generously to him your flock, from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press. So produce and livestock and grain, we're going to send you with bounty when you go because you've served and you've been saving up much different than what we understand typical slavery to be. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember, remember that you were a slave in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, and the Lord has rescued you, redeemed you. And this is why I'm telling you to do it that way. Verse 16, a monumental change. But if this person that you've just given opportunity to go free with great bounty, but if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave, because he loves you so much, because there's been a relationship there and your family and loves your family and is well off with you, then you take a metal awl, like a, a large, we would say like a large nail, a, an awl, have him stand at the doorway of your home, pierce through his ear into the door, and he will become your slave forever by choice. By choice. Now, when I look at this passage, I am once again stunned by the brilliance of God, by the picture of God. You remember that when the Egyptians were freed, or the Israelites were freed from the Egyptians, that the passageway came through a door. And that passageway was painted by blood on the threshold. And it represented for them a door of freedom. 
And now it's a door of commitment. See, when we come to Christ, it's a door of freedom. But then Christ says, now I'm asking you to walk through a door of commitment. And that same door is going to be covered by the blood of commitment and by a nail and by a scar and by piercing. Do you see the brilliant pictures in the Bible? Now, some of you are like, wow, sorry, that doesn't get it for me. Wow! That's, that's kind of what I'm doing inside. And maybe you are too. You're just polite and socially, you know, correct. Here's a picture, again, compassionately delivered from the God of this universe of how things are all going to come together with blood on wood with a scar and piercing. See, that door, you know, when we show people the door, it's not a good thing, right? In other words, there's the door. I've never said that in my life, but it feels good just to say it out loud, right? Hey, there's the door, right? But see, in this case, it meant freedom. At the end of the six years, this, this owner of the property was saying, there's the door. And I'm sending you out with many choices. And you can take these choices and turn them into greatness. I'm giving you complete freedom. That doorway, that passage was a passageway to independence. And God offers the same thing to us, whether we're a Christ follower or not. We come to Christ. We come through the blood on the wood. And Christ says, I still will not make you do I still will not make you be. I will still not make you follow me. There's the door. Every person in this room has a door of opportunity to take the bounty and do with it what you will. But Christ also offers another passage. No, thank you, God. I see the door, but I'm not walking through it because greatness is found in being a slave of my heart with my entire will sold to yours. You see the picture? There are, th there are a few things that stand out for this, in this marvelous picture for me. I brought in a, a visual for us this morning, and I, sometimes for me I, I like to see something. I didn't notice when I picked up this cup that has a gecko on it. If you're wondering what that's not part of the visual. <laughs> we come to Christ. He fills us up. He gives us bounty. He gives us choice. I don't know about you, though. When Jesus speaks, he has got a way that hits at the nerve of the hardest most difficult challenges of the human experience. You know, Jesus said, let me give you a new commandment. Man, there, there are, I could tell you a dozen things I wish it were more. Here's a new commandment. Eat more. Awesome. That is, that is fantastic. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the new command. Woo! Glad I'm a Christian. That's, you know, that would have been awesome. I like to work. I wish you said, here's a new commandment. Work more. Great! I love to work. No more. Excellent. I'm a carnivorous reader. Here's a new commandment. No more. Fantastic. 
Here's a new commandment. Love each other as I've loved you. Not just love each other, but as I've loved you. Dang it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, wow, you hit on the hardest thing it is for human beings. If I lock the doors and we're not moving out of here in a week, like let's say it's a hurricane or something, we're locked in the same room, I, I guarantee half of us will be angry with each other before the week's out. <laughs> and we'll be talking behind each other's back. I can't believe she ate all the French toast. I mean, whatever it is, you know. We'll... <laughs> so Jesus said, here's the measure of greatness. And then when he said, you've got to become a servant and a slave, it's like, wow, man. Here's the human thing that, that, that is so difficult. I don't know about you, but for me, I have a reserve that I'm going to pour out so much, but there's a reserve that there's so much I'm like, ah, I'm going to keep that to myself. A new book just came out by a guy I followed for a number of years, Irwin McManus, called The Last Arrow. But I love the subtitle more than the title because the title demands some kind of explanation, but the subtitle does, has no need of explanation. The subtitle for his, for his new book is Save Nothing for the Next Life. In other words, pour it out. What are you reserving? So I look at this passage in Exodus, and it gives us an idea of a measure of greatness. It gives us an idea... When he says, when, this, when the slave says, here is my body, you can pierce it. And the last words, and I will become your slave forever. That means I'm not moving. I'm permanent. One of the things I feel that, that sometimes we reserve is that I'm, I'm going to stay, but I'm going to reserve just some because I might get angry. And I might get bored. So I'm not, I'm not giving my full commitment to stay. Ask any American pastor what the greatest hardship of being a pastor is. It's the turnstile temporary mindset of the American Christian. I promise you. The things that we get upset about and leave. The things that just like, okay, that's it, I'm out. It's crazy. See, I grew up in a GI generation. Uh, my parents were GI generation. We grew up in a church and, you know, different pastors along the years, and I think it's okay for me to say that there was one that wasn't so, we were so fond of. That's a nice way to say they didn't like him. And I don't think the entire church liked the guy, to be honest with you. Shouldn't we just change? We're not changing. That generation said, I'm in. I don't care if the, you know, the hymn book has changed or the, you know, the organist plays wrong notes or the carpet's changed. We're in, man. And I love that about that generation. You see, this generation, our mindset is FOMO. Okay, before you think I just cussed at you, <laughs> how many people understand the FOMO mindset? Raise your hand. Yes. Okay, and you're kind of shy about it too. Like, I kind of I do the FOMO. FOMO is an acronym, fear of missing out. And it comes from the technology saturation that I'm, I want to have a conversation, but I also got this thing going on because I don't want to miss this one over here. I kid with somebody on our staff. When I first met him, he'd come over to my house. I'm like, hey, we're going to have dinner at my house. You want to come? I'm like, yeah, I think I can probably make that perhaps. 
I'm like, hey, I'm making enchiladas. How many should I make? Should I count you in? Yeah, I think definitely count me in maybe. Like, are you going to be here? Are you not going to be here? Because there was like, I might get a better opportunity. See? And so there, there's this also, there's this thing too that I'm like, hey, I'm permanently in until I'm a certain age. And then like, hey, man, I've done that. I've served. I did Sunday. Whoo, I did the Sunday school back in 19, whatever it was. See, I got a little more left. A servant says, hey, let me tell you what. I'm in. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Except, you know, if there's biblical heresy, which I'm about to get to. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> Other than that, a slave says, I'm in forever. Here's another, here's another aspect. That slave says, I'm giving you all my rights. A right to my bank account. Whoa. A right to my certain places in my life. That Hey, I'm going to give you some. You know, here's a picture for you. The average, so God gives us 100% of our, all of what we have, right? The average Christian gives back to God. Oh, wait, that's too much. Two and a half percent of Christians say, hey, God, I'll just keep 90 for myself. Just two and a half percent. Think about that. The reserve. You see, I don't have a right to what I don't own. See, the slavery was, I don't own anything now, God. You own everything. You own my time, my schedule, my bank account, everything. I'm giving it up. I'm not halfway pierced to the threshold. Put it all the way through, God. You have a right to everything I have. And finally, God, I'm going to give to you not just my permanency, but God, I'm going to give to you others. But I got to reserve some for myself. So yesterday, something really wacky happened to me. We had boys' day, got a late start, crazy. Normally, I'm done by noon. I've got all my work planned out, mapped out, and this, everything. Got a late start, didn't get home until about 2.30, 3 o'clock. One of the fun things I do with one of my boys, he loves going to the dollar store. And so do I. <laughs> I just love saying... You know, I can walk in a store and say, son, pick one item, whatever you want. <laughs> and he hasn't caught on yet. Like, really, Dad? <laughs> really, son. You just go right for it. Oh, we go around the store. We take really weird selfies and buy really weird things that anybody coming out with. Like, why'd you buy a metal spatula? Because it was there. <laughs> because it was a dollar. <laughs> I actually bought some things for myself. Like, really? That's a buck? I'm getting that. So I got home. It's late. One of the things that we bought was a little fishing net. He's really into catching minnows in some of the ponds around our house. Man, I'm tired. I'm right in the thick of it about 4 o'clock. I'm in my, my laptop. He stands right in front of me. He's got that little net. He said, hey, Dad, can we go catch some minnows? No. 
I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really trying to finish some things up. I couldn't, his, I, I couldn't even look him in the eyes. It was like kryptonite or something, like coming into my soul. I'm like, okay, what I'm doing is not as important as you are. We walked to the front door. We got all ready. We, we opened it up. It was raining. I like to be honest with you. I did say a word of thanks <laughs> inwardly. It's like, ah, oh, man, it's like, yes. <laughs> you know, there are times where this is my hardest one. I'm saving myself, and it's hard to, to give it all, isn't it? Now, maybe one of these other two are your hard ones. But that's my hard one. And uh, there are times that God says, will you just stop being about yourself? You see, uh, the thing that makes Christianity so unique is this. Many religious leaders, it was true in Jesus' day, they asked people to do what they weren't willing to do. But Jesus said, I'll go first. I'll go first. So almost every version of my Bible softens even who Jesus was. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, or verse 5 uh, Here's what we're told. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be reserved. I'm going to hold on to that. But rather, he emptied himself, watch this, by assuming and almost every version uses the word servant because it's easier to hear but the word in Greek is not diakonos. That Christ assumed the form of a slave, a doulos. That he said, I am entirely yours. I am entirely pierced. I'm entirely scarred for you. What if Christ would have only poured out half of himself, covered half the deal, None of us would be here. This is what I love about Jesus. I'll go first and show you what it's like. You think, okay, that was Jesus. Is it possible? It's possible. Because we see men and women serving and giving themselves entirely with no reservation all over the planet, including our brother Julio. See, I've been to Julio's home, and I've been to his church because they're the same. In Cuba, after 1959, nobody builds a new church. So you give up half your home. I trained 60 people in Julio's home. The, the half of his home is now a church. And I might say he gave up the better half. We got blacklisted in Cuba. Went back covertly. I went back, me and my wife, covertly on a tourist visa. He lives in, near Guantanamo. Went to Havana. So I'll train with you. 
um, in a hotel room, but we have to do it undercover. He brought with him five other people, got in a taxi cab, no air condition, started at 6 p.m., arrived at 8 a.m. Dulos. It's entirely possible. This very unknown person in the Scripture Paul writes about, his name is Tychicus. He's writing to the Colossians, and he says, Tychicus, our dear brother, faithful diakonos and fellow doulos in the Lord. It's entirely possible. Finally, I, I leave you with these words from the last arrow. If you want a different life, you have to give up the one you have. Now, here's the upside-down thing about the kingdom. We hold on, we reserve what is in us, our time, our permanency, everything, because we think, of course we do, that's better. But the, the incredible phenomena of kingdom thinking and kingdom experience, not just thinking, but kingdom experiences. When you do this and you say, I'm going to give every last drop, there is a reserved cavern of joy and life that comes from this emptiness that Christ is not mandating something because he's trying to be hard. He's trying to draw us in to the emptying life of a Christ follower because when you experience pouring yourself out, you think, Man, I had no idea how great that was. And Christ would say, exactly. That's why I'm calling you to it. It's not my disappointment of us that don't want to, to completely pour ourselves up. It's the disappointment of like, oh, man, you're missing the sacrificial life of a spiritual slave crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live because Christ lives in me. Every day, that slave who said, I'm in permanently, every single day would walk in and out of that doorway. And every day would see that mark in the wood that never went away. Every day. It's that mark that Christ is looking for. Today is a milestone in our church. We are commissioning a servant and a fellow slave into ministry. For six years, Jim Childs has served as associate pastor. He has served as a servant and a slave, a diakonos and a doulos. He has served on this staff and taught us so many things, not by just what he said, but how he has lived, sacrificial. Jim, I'm going to ask you to, to come forward because today is the official day that we launched Jim as a missionary to uh, bridge the gap between the church and the LGBTQ community. Jim is going under the umbrella of ABWE, Associate, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. Um, uh, in our first service, we had some folks from there. We got some family here. Uh, the executive director of North America is here, uh, Doug Martin and his wife. Thank you for being here and, and uh, friends and family there with you. 
Because this is a time where we come together and we say, we are recognizing God's movement and what he has done. And so some of you know Jim's ministry, but I, I wanted him to share with you. For those of you that don't know, give Jim just some opportunity to share. First of all, I got to hug you. <laughs> Love you. Check. All right. Between the back, <laughs> between the two of us, we've been technological monsters. Go ahead. <laughs> That's why it took six years to send me away. Hey, um, <laughs> first of all, I accept the challenge that you just presented. Thank you for those words. Uh, I took them to heart, so I want you to know that. And I have over the last six years. I've actually sat under Steve for twelve years because we have two services, and <laughs> I've heard both, so <laughs> I've got double dose of that. Um, I also wanted just to say, as I'm looking out here, before I tell you about the ministry, because it's not my ministry, it's the ministry that you are helping, sending me to do, but you're the, the engine behind it, your prayers, your financial support, your encouragement over these last six and seven years as I've been part of this family, is what's sending me and is what is empowering so I just want to say, as I look over here, I don't see just fellow church members. I see family. I've been in your homes. You've allowed me into your hearts. And that is powerful to me. That is what keeps me moving forward. So thank you for letting me part of your life and your family. It, I'm not going anywhere, by the way, but I just had to say that piece of it. I love you guys. And the ministry that we're about to step into in a deeper level. I, I need to say that it is a bridge between a community that we call LGBTQ and the church. But it's not because we think they have a bad sin or worse sin than everybody else, so they need to be targeted. It's because they're misunderstood. It's because they don't know that Jesus loves them because we haven't been very good at telling them that. And the opportunity that we put forth by joining forces with ABWE whose heart is to be on mission with the local church, to empower people within that church, to tell people about Jesus. So we're gonna, we are developing seminars that will help the individuals within a given church to build relationships and have gospel conversations with those people that are in their lives that would think differently than them or live differently because we've got to break down that barrier. So what I see, as an identity, as a cultural piece, what we see, it's just a barrier. We need to break that down and know, know that we, there are people that need Jesus, not because they have a bigger sin than we do, but because they're born in the human race and we all need a savior. So that's our messaging there. The other side of that coin, because I believe as we teach, as hearts are engaged, people are going to come to the Lord through this. And church, are we ready? Because there needs to be discipleship. There needs to be a community they can step into that they can learn and grow in Christ. And so there's the Breakthrough, which is a ministry we have here, here that was birthed here at 360 that helps us to go deeper in walking with people to Christ. One-on-one, -on -one, let's go. Let, let's walk toward the Lord and let him tell you how to live your life. Let him change the heart and transform. So we get to help 
teach churches how to do that ministry. It's about thinking differently. It's about meeting people where they are, loving them into the kingdom, and helping them, walking them in there. So that's, that's what you're part of, and that's what you're sending me to do, and I'm honored, and I take the challenge. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. This ministry of breakthrough has been meeting for how many years, Jim? Uh, two and a half. About two and a half years. And it has really served as that place um, that uh, people can come and build relationships, not only with Christ, but each other. So that when they come into a big circle, it's not a foreign object, there's, and there's not, they're not alone. And uh, his ministry has expanded uh, even uh, greatly, truly, uh, to parents and family members of those who uh, are living a gay lifestyle. And so uh, with questions and how do I approach this and how do I uh, uh, enter the gospel in such a sensitive way but love them at the same time. And uh, I, I am, I'm just stunned. I was doing a training in a very large conference in Orlando and I was telling about Jim as ministry. I had two people in the room start crying immediately because it's, it was painful for them. They and one of them uh, has, has been meeting with Jim, and uh, the, the ripple effect is, is just stunning, and I could not be more proud of the work of, of, of what you've done here, the work of ABWE, their mindset to help churches, to, to be in the community, to many different people groups. It's just been marvelous. Jim walked in my office, and basically... About, I don't know, six to eight, ten months ago, I'm not good with time, but he walked in my office and basically had an awl and a hammer in his hand and said, I'm all in, Steve. Basically, here's my resignation to this chapter because God has tapped me to be into a new chapter, and I'm all in. And it was a calling because it's something he couldn't get away from. He didn't have all the plan, all the strategy in place. He didn't have the funding. He still, uh, most of his funding is in per month. He's a supported uh, missionary from our friends and family. Uh, he's still $500 more a month uh, to go. And I'm telling you that in case God moves you, but I'm also telling, that it, telling you because it's a step of faith. And, and this is what happens in a servant and a slave of Christ to say, hey, I'm all in. And so as a church family, what, we, what we're going to do in this moment is we're going to commission Jim, which that, what that fancy word means is that we're going to give him our heart endorsement. And we're going to pray. It's, it, we see moments like this in the scripture, like in Acts chapter 13. Antioch, there are two major uh, hubs in the, in the book of Acts. One is Jerusalem, where things really were ignited, uh, primarily a Jewish uh, center, and then Antioch, which became the sending center, especially to the non-Jewish parts of the world. And in Acts chapter 13, in fact, we see somewhat of a cosmopolitan mix. There's a list of men uh, from all different places. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, in the, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manon, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. In other words, they were coming from all over. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. They gave them their heart's endorsement, and they sent them off. And this is exactly what we're going to do this morning. So I'm going to invite those of you that would like to come forward and pray. And uh, we're going to lay hands on Jim. 
and we're going to pray. And, and uh, if it's like the first service, there'll be many layers. So you just put your hands on the shoulders of the person in front of you. So I invite you to come and pray if you feel uh, comfortable. And I uh, would like to join in, in your heart's endorsement. If you're with us uh, for the first time, you were with us for a million years. You come on up. Come on, Doug and, uh, and your family and friends, you come on up. You're certainly welcome to come. And, uh, and if you prefer to pray in your chair, that's perfectly fine as well. Uh, as as we're uh, here, Jim, uh, before we pray, I, I want to repeat four things I said to you, uh, but I want them to be embedded in your heart before. From this family uh, to you, I want to say four things very quickly. First of all, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for showing us kindness, for your kind spirit, for your steadiness. Uh, for giving a, a picture of Christ that's uh, unforgettable. Second thing I'll say to you is we need you. Uh, I'm glad you'll still be here because you're a part of this family, and uh, we need your, uh, your uh, calibration. You calibrate us, and uh, both visually and uh, ministry and compassion, we need you. Uh, we challenge you. There are too many fallen leaders uh, around us. Christ. Walk, walk hard with Christ. Open yourself to others. Don't let, don't let yourself be found alone. It's the, it's the pitfall of many leaders. We, we challenge you. And finally, I'll say this. We bless you. You go with our absolute, complete favor endorsement from our heart. And that we're behind you. We are your champions for what Christ is going to do through you. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, God, for this servant and slave of Christ, completely sold out with blood on the, on the wood. Thank you, Father, for the picture that Jim has brought to us of steadiness, of faithfulness, of, of consideration, compassion, God, that we've needed and that we've, we've needed to be calibrated with. Thank you, God, for the ministry that you've given to him to those that others have not wanted to sit with. It's been too hard. Thank you for the clarity, God, that he's gonna bring to many people to build bridges, to build friendships, to build open hands. Thank you for ABWE, for their selfless heart that they keep proving over and over, God, that they really are for churches, not trying to take, but to give. Thank you for their leadership. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you keep this man's feet on the path of Christ? Would you challenge his heart not to be alone? Would you challenge his heart to be selfless? Would you challenge his heart, God, to walk with you and be umbilical to you and to embed and stitch in his heart that apart from you, Christ, he can do absolutely nothing? We pray that you'll be his vanguard to go before him and to open doors that are beyond, God, what he could ask or ever imagine. Father, we pray, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you will use this man so far beyond what we any of us could expect because it will be you. And at the end of that path, God, may every ounce 
of credit be given to you for what you have done. And so, Father, we surrender him to you. We surrender him, his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength. In the name of Jesus, for your kingdom. Amen.